Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. How many are excited about the weather we have been having? <laughs> it could stay like this year round and I would be a happy man. <laughs> Let's see, I didn't put this in my own notes. We're going to be on page 115 in the Pew Bible, if you don't have your own Bible with you today, which is Matthew 5, 21 to 26, so you can turn there if you'd like. I get sent jokes all the time, and it's, some of them are great, and some of them are bad, and uh, I enjoy the ones that are about people trying to get into heaven, and uh, this one kind of goes along with what we're looking at today, so I thought I'd share it with you. But a man dies, and he meets St. Peter, and it's always St. Peter. There's no other people at the gate. I guess he's the only one. Uh, but yeah, he meets St. Peter. He wants to get in, and St. Peter says, uh, you know, it's really easy. You just have to score 100 points on this quiz, and you can get in. The guy's, okay, a quiz. This is interesting. So he says, well, you, you tell me what your good works are. And uh, I'll give you some points according to what they are, and... If you score 100, we'll let you in. All right. So first he says, I was married to the same woman for 50 years. Never strayed, not in my heart, not in my mind. It was totally, totally true to her. That's excellent. I can give you two points for that. Two points? Two for that? Oh, all right. Well, let's see. Um, I attended church. I showed up every week. Um, I even gave. I gave more than just my tithe, and I served. I was really faithful to my church. Oh, that's fantastic. Definitely worth a point. One point? One point. Oh, man. Well, let's see. Uh, I started a, a soup kitchen in my community. And, and I did all kinds of good there, and I, I worked with disabled veterans and got them situated and back into the community, and I did all of that. And he said, oh, well, yeah, I guess I'd give you another point for that. One point? Come on! At this rate, only by the grace of God can I get into heaven. 100 points, come on in. <laughs> only by the grace of God. And we struggle with that. We struggle with that a lot. Because we think that we can get better acquainted with God if we do more. And we've got to come to that place where we realize that God loves us all that he can and all that we are aside from all of that. And we struggle with that. Because we really want to be loved by God. And we really want to get close to God. And we think, if I do this, he'll love me even more. But he loves us already that much. More than we can think. More than we can understand. More than we can grasp. And our heart is challenged by these things. The things we encounter in the world. The things that we encounter with relationships. And that's kind of what we're going to look at today. We're going through... Matthew, and Christ has come and he's got people before him that he's really trying to help them understand what knowing God is all about. Because we have to remember, the Jews, they, they were about the law, and God gave them the law, and the law is important. 
and it's valuable, but not for the believer in Jesus Christ. Now, let me qualify that. Grace came. The, the perfect picture of baptism this morning. I mean, it just, it's a great backdrop for what we're going to look at today. Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection changed everything. And the purpose of the law was to point us to the fact that we can't, in and of ourselves, do enough to get into heaven. It's not about that. God wants to restore relationship with us. I mean, we have to go back to Genesis again. What did God want? He wanted a people that was close to him, that understood him, that walked with him, that worshipped him. I so appreciate this last song. I mean, understanding who God is and worshipping him and, and just understanding how much he loves us and how much he cares for us and how much he wants to provide for us. And I think sometimes we forget about that. The stresses of day-to-day -day life, the challenges of our relationships. I think we forget about who God is and what he's done and what he wants to do in our life. So hopefully today, as we look at this particular passage, you won't just see the text, but you will see God and his desire to know you and to understand you and to love you with an unfailing love that we a challenge to really understand. Now, a cursory reading of Matthew 5, 21 and 22 shows that Jesus is speaking not so much about murder, but the steps that will get you there. He traces the roots of murder to three sources, anger, hatred, and the spirit of competition and aggression. Basically, self-centeredness within the carnal, within the flesh, I mean, think about it. When we get angry, it's not just a cerebral thing, is it? When we get angry, we get angry! Right? We get crazy and nutty and we go nuts and stuff like that. Or maybe you don't. I know some people who get angry. It's funny. <laughs> it's like the Lord just reminded me. I, guess I knew somebody who, their idea of getting angry was like, I am so mad. <laughs> you're mad? It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> But that's, compared to their personality, that, that was the mad. I am so mad. All right, sure. <laughs> you want to see mad? It gets you mad. But it, it, it's something that really captures our whole being, doesn't it? When we get cranked, when we get ticked off, when we get, you fill in whatever kind of word you want to use there, we feel it. We experience it. It rattles us, and sometimes it takes a while for us to calm down. And that's where Jesus comes in, and he wants to kind of impact who we are and what we're doing and how destructive that can be. Now let me be clear. The Bible permits anger against sin. Okay? Righteous indignation. It permits that, but not anger against another person. God is about relationship. He's about unity. I mean, one of the things that Christ said was, they're going to know that you are Christians by what? Your love for one another. Not your hatred, not the way you like, demand things, not the way you manipulate people to function in my law. No, by your love one to another. 
And that, that love sometimes is saying and doing hard things within that relationship. Challenging someone to, to be a better person, to be a better man, to be a better woman, to leave certain behaviors. Yes, yeah, sometimes it includes that. And it's loving someone enough to say those things and to communicate those things. But mainly it's about acting with grace. Letting love cover a multitude of sin and not have it be about the, the little tiny things that they stumble upon. Loving them, caring for them in such a way that the best of them comes to the surface and not the worst. And that, that's who God is. That's what he wants. And sometimes we forget that. We think God's all about being the big bad guy going, oh, don't do that and don't do that and don't do that and you're this and you're that. And that's not who God is. We have a wrong understanding of who God is when that's what we think he is all about. He wants to work in our lives in such a way that as he shaves away the things that cause us problems, that the best of us comes to the surface. That people can see us in a new light, in a heavenly light, so to speak. Completely different from the world. That's what God wants. But God also knows what we are made of, right? Flesh and blood. And sometimes that causes us some problems when the flesh gets in the way, right? We judge by what we can see of a person's actions. God evaluates the heart. See, we're, we can only see the outside. And a lot of times we judge people by their actions, and sometimes we misjudge them. But God knows our heart. And God knows that sometimes there are people that are they're doing the right actions, but their heart is so far away. And it's hurting and it's challenged. And he tries to impact that to try to get them focused back on him. Some act more moral by society standards. And they can fool us. That's why we have to trust God. Trust his process. But God evaluates us not only by our deeds, but also by our character. See, he wants us to be different from the world. It's easy to be a little better than the world. I mean, that's almost anybody can do that. He wants us to be completely different from the world, unlike them. And I think that's where we ch get challenged, and that's where we struggle. Because, boy, if we set ourselves apart too far, we're going to be obviously different. And that's exactly what God wants, but that's where we struggle. Because, oh, if I get set apart too far, what are people going to say about me? What are people going to think about me? What's going to happen as a result of that? But God knows what we are made of when no one else sees us. He knows what's in our heart. He knows what's in our mind. And yet he still reaches out to us. He still cares for us. He still wants the best for us. Because that's who he is. And that's how he works. Now I want to back up one verse. Um, verse 20. It says, But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a focus on righteousness here. And I know we all want to be righteous. We all want to be good. We all want God to like accept us and love us and all of that. But how we get there is very important. 
And that's sometimes where we get sidetracked. That's where we get derailed. How we get there. Because sometimes we adopt the world's thinking in how to get there. If I do this better, if I do that better, if I do this work or that work, or if I give up this or give up that, God's going to see me in a better light. That's the world's thinking. God just wants obedience. He wants us to worship him, to understand who he is and how that all works. And when we get to that place, we care a lot less about certain things, especially about what the world thinks. Because we start to see God for who he is and that relationship develops in such a way that we can be at peace, that we can have joy, that we can have rest. And I know, I know rest is hard to find today based on the pace of this world, based on what's going down, but it is possible. Now, a lot of the time we struggle with the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. As we take God's word and we look at these things, and, and this is where God kind of, this is where Jesus kind of points to using the sixth commandment of the ten, murder. Murder. It's been a murder. How many of you like murder mysteries? Anybody murder mystery fans out there? Yeah, they're fun. Especially when they're like good and not ridiculous. Now, spirit of the law, letter of the law. Now, when I was an RA in Bible school, there were other RAs who were very letter of the law. And what that, what that basically meant was, like, you'll love this, one of the rules were, one of the rules was, you were not to walk on the grass in the quad. Don't ask me why. That's what I thought grass was designed for. But you weren't supposed to walk on the grass in the quad. So, okay, you know, this, my RA that was in the do next dorm over, you know, he was like, you know, poised, waiting for people to walk on the grass. Like, oh, you've stepped on one blade and, oh, I'm giving you a demerit. It's like, you know, and some people are just like, you know, normal like us. And like, you know, oh, yeah, grass, you walk in the grass. And then, oh, I'm not supposed to walk in the grass. And you get off the grass. He didn't care. You walked on the grass. It wasn't like rebellion. It's like, oh, no, don't walk in the grass. I'm walking on the grass. I'm walking on the grass. Okay, that person probably should get a demerit. But the spirit of the law would say... You know, oh, I'm walking along, and I'm walking, oh, I'm not supposed to walk in the grass, you get off the grass. Yeah, oh, good, you saw that you weren't supposed to walk in the grass. And the spirit of law was, he understood, and he kind of self-corrected, and it's, it's wonderful. But see, sometimes we use that letter of the law for ourselves and for others very strictly, very stringently. And so we come here, to what Scripture's talking about and this whole idea of murder. Now, when I witness to people, that's usually the first place they go when I talk about, you know, what, what, you know do you think you're a good person or not? Oh, well, I haven't murdered anybody. It's like, why is that the go-to? It's like, I, I just don't understand that. That's like the go-to place. But that's, you know, easy. <laughs> Most, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, because <laughs> <but laughs> I don't want to be shocked this morning. But, 
but you know, I'm venturing to say no one in here has actually killed a person intentionally or premeditatedly. <laughs> I'll venture to say. But I think, I don't know, I like to just, I think that's probably why, and this is my own personal opinion, it's, there's no truth here, really, but I, I wonder if that's why this is the first one that Jesus used. Because it's the easiest one to say, you know, well, I, I, you know, look at me, I'm, I'm within the law. I'm, I'm obedient to the law. I haven't killed anyone. But we have to see where murder really comes from. What the heart is really doing. What's really going on. Because the problem with the legal view is that it tends to take your relationship with God and treat it like a contract. I've done these things, God. Now you have to do these things. And, and that's not really what a relationship with God is all about. Yes, there's a covenant that God has provided, but when we have this legalistic mindset, when we treat our relationship with God like a contract, we're going to get disappointed. Because sometimes that contract is, what can I get away with and still be within the legal requirement of the law? And when you approach any relationship, I mean, think about it, any relationship, if you treated it like that, where would it go? What would it become? It wouldn't be healthy. It wouldn't be vibrant. It wouldn't be good. Because it's all about this, you know, I do this and you do that. And I give and you take and you take and I give. And, da, 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 and it's just this, ugh. God wants a relationship where love is vibrant and real. And it's, it's done out of a hard attitude. Not obligation. Not duty, not reluctance, but love. Now, man's government deals with the end of the act. Christ deals with the beginning. You know, you see all these murder shows, and they're looking at intent, right? Well, did he really intend to kill? Is it manslaughter? Is it premeditated? And, you know, that determines what the punishment is. And Christ says, you know what? I want to erase it from the beginning. I want to eliminate it from the start. Verse 21. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother, without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, quick trip to 1 John 3.15 says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So that, that's kind of where we're at in our mindset as we look at this particular scripture. Now, you're like, okay, we're, this guy's calling names? And that's, that's murder? It doesn't make sense. But as you look at this, Raka literally means vain fellow, someone who is deemed shallow, empty-headed, brainless, or stupid. You're like, okay, there are a lot of those people around. Why is that a bad thing? But God says, wait. 
People said Raka in a tone of voice that conveyed scorn, contempt, or bitterness born of pride, snobbery, and prejudice. Oh, Raka. Raka. But see, we're all made in the image of God. And God's like, no, 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 no. That's not how you treat my creation. That's not how you treat one another. That's not how you interact. That's not how you have relationship. Because we're elevating self. And we're putting down other people. That's the cool thing about God. He's no respecter of persons. He sees us all equally the same. Because he's a good God. He's a righteous God. He's a loving God. And he wants us to start to experience that now. I mean, we, we, we have this mindset that, you know what, we're going to experience heaven in a, you know, when I die. But you know what? You can get to know what heaven's going to be like now. Start living like you are a heavenly you know, resident, citizen. Because we are. If you come to Christ, that's your residence. We're just foreigners here. Aliens. Just kind of passing through. And as we learn to live godly, we can start to experience what heaven's going to be like with each other now. Why wait? Let's bring heaven now. Now, you fool implies a moral fool. Using this term was casting aspersions upon another's character to destroy his reputation. It's an expression of condemnation and of character assassination. Pretty weighty stuff. And Christ is equating this mindset, this heart attitude, to murder. He's saying, these are the, these are the starting points. This is where it comes from. The progression is thought precedes action, hatred precedes murder. Jesus pushes his listeners to see that righteousness goes far deeper than certain behaviors. See, we can act nice, but in our heart, be evil, be wrong. We can say the right things and appear to do the right things and be so far away from God, it's not even funny. William Barclay had something to say about this particular passage. Long-lasting anger is bad. Contemptuous speaking is worse. And the careless or malicious talk which destroys a man's good name is worse of all. The man who is the slave of anger, the man who speaks in the accent of contempt, the man who destroys another's good name may never have committed a murder in action, but he is a murderer at heart. Heavy words. Think about how you interact with people. Think about how you think about people. I mean, the one thing that blows me away with Christ is he was compassionate. He looked on people and was broken for them because of their condition. Often we look at people and we are disgusted with them. We are just, ugh. We don't see the image of Christ in them. And we look at them differently. God says, no, that's not how it's supposed to be. Unrestrained anger is seen in 22a. Whoever is angry. Is that you? 
22b talks about abusive speech. Whoever says racha. Is that you? Interpersonal animosity. Whoever says you fool. The accuser, the pointer. Is that you? Can be, right? We can fall into these habits. We, we can get to this mindset. We can have this heart in us. It happens when we're in the flesh. When we think, I haven't murdered anybody, but this is how we live. Christ is saying, wait a minute. These are the markers. You're on the path. Questions you should ask yourself. Am I angry with someone or harboring bitterness towards someone right now? You're in danger. Am I saying hateful things about anyone? Things that ought not to be said? You're in danger. Am I assassinating someone's character or destroying someone's reputation with my words? We are in danger. And our heart is the one thing that's getting affected as a result of it. We hold on to it. We harbor it. We stew over it. And it sours us as a person. It corrupts us as a being. And it becomes the filter that we look at everything through. And God's saying, no. These things should not be who you are. This should not be part of how you live. This is not what I have for you. In Jesus, we see what righteousness actually is. In him, we see what true humanity looks like without the deforming effects of sin. I mean, that's the thing. We need to look at Christ. He's the example. And so often, we look at other people. We say, well, you know, I'm better than this person. I'm better than that person. And, you know, we always can find somebody who's not where we're at in our living experience. And we can go, well, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. I'm not like that. But that's not the example for any one of us. It's Jesus Christ. He is the one we're to compare ourselves to. And if you're comparing yourself to Christ, that's when you're going to get challenged. That's when you're going to really see you. Otherwise, we're just deceiving ourselves. And we can busy ourselves and point fingers and say things and feel okay and still call ourselves a Christian, but we're not going to have the kind of walk that Christ would have for us. Because when we become like him, our view towards people, our attitude toward one another changes. Grace becomes so available to us to not only experience, but to give, to use. And we treat people and interact with people completely different. And it's a beautiful thing. And that's where Christ is trying to lead us. He's trying to get us past just this, I don't do this and this is where I am, and I do do that and that's so why I'm here now. And this just mechanical, works-focused existence. Wouldn't it be great to just wake up and feel joy? It's available. It's possible. Wouldn't it be great to just wake up and be at rest and at peace with everything, no matter what the day held? That's available. That's possible in Christ. But when we kind of stick our fingers in it and we use the world's way of trying to manage our life, 
It doesn't work that way. And a lot of times we blame God for the failure. We blame God for the explosions. We blame God for the disruptions. And we go, oh, look, if God was this, if God was that. And that's not true. We're using the wrong method. We're using the wrong standard. Jesus encourages making efforts to reconcile and heal relationships quickly. And he uses two different settings, which we're going to look at really quick. In the first instance, Jesus is speaking of when you are offering a gift at the altar. And the context is worship. We're here worshiping. Hopefully you've been worshiping all week and not just today. I don't know about you, but I, just, I was pumped up in a very excited way after worship, the singing portion of our worship. Just some familiar songs I haven't heard in a while. It was kind of cool. Just re reminded me of some other things. I was excited. But a lot of that is, is I have been with God all week long in his scripture, listening to him, wanting his best. And I was prepared for this morning. I was ready. And a right relationship will bring right worship. When we are with God in such a way where there's nothing there, there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no whatever. You come into worship corporately and it's like, it's exciting and it's fun and you, you can hear the people singing and you can feel the spirit moving and it's exciting. And that's what God wants. And that's what Jesus is trying to help us understand. If you have a right relationship with others, you're going to have a right relationship with God and that right relationship is going to bring true worship, wonderful worship, incredible worship like you've never experienced before. Verse 23. It says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, there's a counterintuitive point he raises here. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. We would think, well, no, no, we should, we should worship God. That's very important. And we should do that first. And then, after we worship God, then we'll be in the right frame of mind. We'll be in a good place. And then we'll go make it right with our brother. And God says, no. How can you have disjointed and disconnected and horrendous relationships with people that have skin on and be right with me? who you are challenged to think of, challenged to love, challenged to draw near to. Your interpersonal relationships should be right. Because, guess what? We are of one spirit. And when there's disruption there, it matters. It makes a difference. And we have to trust God here. We can't say, oh, well... Well, this is what God's Word says. And either we have to trust it or not. And if we're going to trust it, he says, you have to make your other relationships right before you come in and see me. It's that important. It's that valuable. And we can't just blow it off. And that's what we do sometimes. Well, that's really not convenient for me. I'll just kind of, boop, and we move on. And then we, why isn't God working in my life? Why don't I not hear from him? Why is this going wrong? Why is this blowing up? Well, you're picking and choosing. You know, you're, you're at the 
salad bar of my grace. It's like, oh, I want some of this. Oh, I don't like that. I'll pass that. Oh, yeah, I like this. Oh, I really like that. Oh, no, I don't want that. Oh, I don't want that. Oh, I don't want that. And God goes, are you going to obey me? Are you going to listen to me? Are you going to pattern your life the way I say? Or the way you say? Because that's saying, I'm God and you're not, and I'll do it my way. We've got to trust him. It goes just beyond doing what's right. It is being right. Aligning your life to God's truth. Setting it in order. And usually that's just yielding to his truth. Saying, okay, I'm going to do it your way. I'm not going to try to do this my way. This verse also reveals our relationship with God is partially contingent on how we treat others. We've got to see that. Again, other people, they are made in the image of God. How can we treat them less than we would treat God? Uh, Jesus indicates that when we damage our relationships with others, we damage our relationship with him, leading to punishment. And there's a Great parable in Matthew 18 that speaks about that. A man who beats his wife, a woman who continually ridicules her husband, or a thousand other concrete examples could illustrate this principle. We must profess our faith with our lives as well as our lips. We can't just say the the, the right things. We can't just appear to do the right things. We have to be right with God. We've got to do those things. But notice here, and in the following statement, that you are in the position of having wronged someone else, not in being wrong. I, I found that interesting. Because it's not, you know, if, if you are wronged, you should go. It's like, no, if you have wronged someone else, and it's been made, you're aware of it you should go and make it right. Different paradigm there, isn't there? It's one thing, it's like, you know, oh, I've been wronged. But this is, oh, I've wronged someone else. And God says I should make that right before I sacrifice him to him, before I go to worship him. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you. God's will is for reconciliation. He wants unity. He wants oneness. And having this divided heart does not accomplish that. Having anger and animosity and all of that building up within you is not going to create the relationship atmosphere that God wants that he requires for a healthy Christian life. You have a new nature and a new life when you come to Christ. That's how it works. Which is so cool. It's like a do-over, right? A mulligan. Come to Christ and it's like, oh, we can just new life, new nature, hallelujah. Your focus should be in being made right, not just receiving more rules to live by. And that's what we do sometimes. 
All right, give me my list of things. Give me my, what I got to do and what I don't got to do. And God's like, no. Rest in me. Follow me. Listen to me. And that's a little challenging. It's a little harder because it's not five minutes of Bible in the morning and ten minutes of Bible in the afternoon and uh, giving this and sacrificing here and serving that. It's living in relationship with God and letting Him move us along and Him challenging us in positive, healthy ways to live in a right light. God's intention in Jesus Christ, He offers us His gift. What we need is not our own righteousness, but Christ's in us. And so often we try to build our own righteousness when we've been given Christ's. And it's just a matter of using that on a daily basis. All right, our second in, in I'm sorry, our second instance, and we'll be closing. Jesus is speaking of when you are on the way with your adversary, and literally an opponent in a lawsuit. And the context is personal responsibility. So you looked at worship, now we're looking at personal responsibility. Verse 25. It talks about reconcile quickly, reconcile well. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. If you don't pursue reconciliation... Uh, too much coffee. Now my mouth is very dry. If you don't pursue reconciliation with righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, things will continually go from bad to worse, even if you go to the legal realm to resolve it. Because it's a heart attitude. It's a heart focus. And we have to realize our heart should be in line with who we are in Christ. Mark 7, 20-23 says this. And then he added, It is what comes from the inside that defiles you. From within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what? Defile you. And the thing is, we're all at risk. I'm a pastor. I'm at risk. If I don't yield to the scripture, if I don't yield to what God says, if I don't align my life according to God's word, I'm at risk. And all of those things are potential to come from within me and be acted out. We have to trust what God says. We can't pick and choose how we live. Jesus is leading his listeners to see that true righteousness is far more than legal or external obedience. And that's how we live so often. It's just a set of rules, right? Our little box, and we order it our way. Righteousness is not about getting our part done. Just checking off a couple of boxes going, oh, I'm all set today. I'm righteous according to God. It's not 
looking to see how much you can get away with and still be considered righteous. Well, I can do this, and I can do this, because, you know, the, the letter of the law doesn't say I can't. Righteousness is right relationships, relationships that spring out of a right heart, mind, and soul that always bring about blessing and life. And we're challenged, right? The wisdom book is what? The wisdom book in the Bible is? Thank you. Okay, I was scared. <laughs> I was really scared. Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart. Because the heart can be a killer. Not only other people, but yourself. God has a whole lot to say about how we should be talking about people. Or actually how we should not be talking about people. It's all too easy to cloak things in spiritual terms or present things as though you are care or you're concerned. It's easy to do that, right? Sounds spiritual. But Jesus challenges us with this passage. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we should not live this way. And God knows the truth of where our heart is. We can't fool him. So I would challenge you. If you have relationships that are broken, that are fractured, that need repair, work it out. Figure out how to reconcile some way. Because it's not only going to hurt you, it's going to hurt the people around you. And it's also going to challenge your relationship with God. I know for myself, when I am right in my relationships, I see God everywhere, all over the place. I see him in trees and the sunset, and you're like, oh, okay, he's off his rocker. But it's true. If you want to start to see God, start to make your relationships right. Start to heal the relationships you have around you. No, don't just get by. Don't just like make do, but have them be healthy. And your relationship with God will improve significantly. Just a challenge. It's up to you. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning... We are challenged. Because, Lord, people can push our buttons. Lord, we can easily get angry. Father, so often the agenda does not go our way. But, Lord, you have provided a way for us to deal with those things. Your Spirit enables us to look at them with a right mindset, a right heart attitude. Father, I pray that as we leave today, our hearts would be changed, challenged in a positive way, Lord, and that if we do have relationships that are fractured, that are wounded, that are even completely broken, Lord, that we would work at healing them, restoring them. Because, Lord, we have the threat of a killer heart within us, Lord, when we follow our own rules, when we try to take things into our own hands, Lord, we're at risk of murder. 
according to you. The world wouldn't call us a murderer, Lord, but you would. And we have to acknowledge that because it's your standard. It's your guideline. That's our example and nothing else. Father, we humbly come before you today, Lord, asking for your help. We are weak, but Lord, you are strong. Your spirit can change and alter our lives in ways that we would never understand. And we're thankful for that, Lord. May we live in a way that would bring honor and glory to you each and every day, especially with our relationships. Because by our love to one another, Lord, that's how we will prove to the world that we are Christians. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.